We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Odo, and you're listening to episode 59, Taking a Leak. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers with me this week. How are you, sir? I am fantastic. How are you, David? I'm great. How has your Cube experience been? I've been having a lot of fun with Cube. Um, I've drafted a lot of decks. I find myself like gravitating towards blue-green because people keep passing me opposition and upheaval, and I really love both of those cards and just want to play them a lot. But I confirmed what we talked about in the podcast. You can basically decide what you want to draft and then draft it. I've forced mono-white, mono-black, um, and a, a kind of blue-red spells deck already, and it was absolutely fine. That was just to get me out of this green ramp rut that I got into. But I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. I hear you did a cube draft as well. I did. I took the bait. I bit uh, bit the bullet and uh, dumped into a jumped into a cube draft on stream. Uh, I actually did the same thing you did. I basically forced a deck, um, not on purpose, um, but like I got past a bunch of elves and I'm like, well, I guess we're green now. And uh, it turned out to be a lot of fun. Drafted mostly green. I did have one or two white spells. Um, lots of planeswalkers. Planeswalkers are still confirmed good. Yeah. Um, and uh, had some really fun games. It went 2-1, but could have gone 3-0, could have gone 1-2. It was that close. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Crater hoofing people for lethal off the top <laughs> of your deck is a lot of fun. Um, the, the best part about crater hoof is that it's rarely lethal. It's more often extreme overkill. And that's what I love about it is when the, the life total is like negative 56 at the end. Yeah, so I didn't quite get that far. Um, when I was casting it, it was usually for around 20 to 25. But um, I think the best game that I had with it was um, we were playing off the top of our deck and our opponent had a, a Whisperwood Elemental. So it was making 2-2 manifests all the time. And I took a line that um, I had a Pelucranos that I could monstrous for four and I could either kill the Whisperwood Elemental or I could kill two things. And I chose to kill two things playing off the top of my deck for a land so I could play the crater hoof that was in my hand. And I'm like, if I can just get as many things off the board, take as little damage as possible because I was at 10 and they would have put me to nine or something like that. I'm like, I better just put myself at a healthy enough life total um, that I could play around a combat trick or I can play around removal, you know? So I, so I went that direction and uh, ended up top decking the land and chats like going nuts. They're like, Oh man, you're like, you totally wrecked them. And you count up the math on their blockers and what I have for attackers they had 26 life and I had like 27 damage or something like that. So it was like, everybody's like, you did it. You, you, you crushed them. And it's kind of like, well, I mean, we almost miscounted lethal there, but uh, luckily for us, they, uh, they swung with just enough that we got them. So it was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I had some really interesting games, lots of interesting decisions. Um, uh, You know, playing to my outs, I think is a skill that uh, that helps me out in this cube or just probably in cube in general where, mm-hmm. you know, you're always working toward a victory instead of working just toward not losing. Um, so if you have those skills, I think uh, I think you can go pretty far in the cube or at least 2-1 a lot. I found too that like it, I'm, I'm forced in the cube to take screenshots of my deck 
because I have something like, you know, Green Sun Zenith or Court of Calling or whatever, and I need to be like, what can I go get? And like having that screen cap on a second monitor is actually really helpful, even when I'm not playing the Green Sun Zenith. And I, I think if somebody is playing exclusively online and you're doing a lot of limited, you should probably just go ahead and screen cap your deck. I agree. Um, I've actually been taking copies, uh, exports of my deck before I start playing because I've been hosting them on a Twitch extension that will actually let viewers view the deck while you're playing. Okay. Uh, remind me, I'll send you a link to that. I think it's called Stream Decker. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, I started using that the other day. Um, a viewer of, of yours and mine actually clued me into it, Mr. Ducky. And okay. uh, it's it's really cool. So instead of taking screenshots, I can now go look at my deck on this website, and people that are watching the stream can actually look at the deck while we're while we're playing. It's really cool, and it really helps for Cube, where if you have people that aren't familiar with the cards, they don't have to ask, they don't have to do the card command and chat. Rip MTG bot, by the way. They can just go and uh, click the deck link and and get all the information from there. So it's really cool. Yeah, it looks like uh, for those who didn't know, MTG bot was down today. It was banned by Twitch. It looks like Dan has gotten that sorted and that it will be returning soon. That is great because MTG bot is amazing. It is freaking awesome. Go send Dan and MTG bot some love. I agree. Um, So this week we were going to talk about Masters 25 and we had the the full release sometime last week, I believe. And uh, we're going to do a full full set review, get you prepped. I mean, Masters isn't available until next week. So a week from the release of the podcast, it's not even being released early online. So it's not like we can do, uh, you know, a set review today and you can be playing it next Wednesday. You have to wait a whole week for it. So we have another podcast between now and then we're like, you know, we could do the master's review, but maybe there'd be something else we can talk about. And then lo and behold, there was a big dump of information regarding, uh, Dominaria. And we thought, well, since wizards put it out on their website, uh, and acknowledge that they made a mistake here, in releasing a lot of this information, we thought it would be okay for us to talk about it. So instead, we're going to go through some of the information that was released uh, in about Dominaria and talk about a few of the cards that have been spoiled. So if you're not interested in this, if you want to wait for Dominaria spoilers, you should probably stop listening now. And for those of you brave enough to, brave enough to follow us in, uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of the mechanics, actually all the mechanics and a couple of the cards, and uh, Travis is going to nerd out over his magic history. Yes, all of that's going to happen. So some of this was being talked about today on my stream, and I absolutely ignored all of it because there was nothing official from Wizards that I knew of yet. And it's always been my policy when there's unofficial spoilers, I don't want to talk about it. I think that's ruining the game and I get grumpy. When there's regular spoilers, I usually don't want to talk about it anyway. I want to see the full set because I'm excited for limited. This set in particular is a little different for me because it, it is going to make me nerd out about my magic history. Like I, I first started playing with cards that had Teferi and Karn on them, and I'm so excited to get to do that again. Uh, so there will be some nerding out here. But the, the reason I was avoiding talking about this earlier is there was nothing official from Wizards that I knew of. Now there's information on the wizard site from Blake kind of printing all this out. That's what we're looking at as we're talking about it. So I, I view that as like the the go ahead button. Let's talk about it. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate. So what we're talking about here is um, there was an accidental release in another language of the um, Dominaria set release notes. So they wizards will put out a, a document of, uh, you know, one-off rules or card clarifications or mechanic explanations for uh, a lot of the cards for every single set. And that's usually done before the pre-release. So you have that information when you go. 
helps the judges out, things like that. Um, and so it was accidentally released and translated and then acknowledged by Wizards shortly after that saying, yeah, we goofed, we accidentally released it. Here's the translated or the English version so that people don't have to speculate on uh, on the translations because you know how it goes. People run it through Google Translate and you get weird things like, you know, after combat becomes, you know, after the Western Front or something like that in another language. Yeah. And um, and so so they did they did a good thing. They uh, they took the made the best of a bad situation and they've given us basically a dump of I think there's about 100 cards here and a description of all the mechanics and stuff so that we can nerd out about this uh, while we wait the five or six weeks that it'll take for this to be released uh, on paper and online. So Dominary doesn't actually come out until April 20, 21st. Sorry, that's the pre-release weekend. We speculate that there may be an online release a few days early like there was with uh, Rivals of Ixalan. Of course, we don't know for sure. But um, I, I think if that one was a success, it would be safe to assume that maybe there will be another one of these. So I hope might so. Be playing I with it a few really days. enjoyed that. I did like a 12 it, hour stream that day. It was really cool. And they, they, uh, they got a bunch of streamers involved, um, yourself included where they, they really pushed the being able to play magic online in advance of your pre-release. Um, it was sealed format, which is very cool because you could prepare for your pre-release. Um, and then as always, you get the drafts immediately after the pre-release on magic online. So we're not that far away and hopefully this will tide us over and uh and get some hype for this set because i think this is going to be a really cool set so i think we're just going to go through the document here we're going to talk about the mechanics uh talk about some of the rules changes and then talk about kind of what we see in a couple of these cards and we're going to nerd out over a couple of these really cool cards and um from first glance the the what they've done here looks kind of amazing um it looks i don't want to say it looks like a core set but it looks like a really powerful core set. It looks like there's mechanics that are all over the place. There's neat combos. There's one-off mechanics that only appear on one card or two cards, not necessarily named mechanics. Um, and there's there's a cool theme. There's cool characters. There's a lot of stuff going on here, and I'm really excited to see what happens. And there's mana sinks. There are mana sinks. Oh my god, mana sinks. So, so the first mechanic I think we're going to talk about then because of mana sinks is a returning mechanic, which is kicker. And for those that listen to the podcast will know kicker is one of the mechanics that we talk about as being, you know, um, really good for limited because of the alternate cost or the, this, the mana sink that you can do. Um, and it kind of gives you these options to, uh, either play a card early or, or save it for later, spend your mana in the late game. It turns your, your, it makes, makes good cards that are good early, better late if they have kicker. So, um, now you're more familiar with Kicker than I am. I only played in in, uh, in Cube and, and kind of flashback drafts. But what does Kicker mean to you from a limited perspective? For me, it means basically exactly what you just said. If I play this on curve, it's going to be good. And if I draw it later, I've got somewhere to put excess mana. Like so many mechanics that they've designed over the years have just been variants of Kicker. Uh, which I, I just always think of as funny, but like I think Kicker is like one of the main mechanics that you see, and it's nice just to see it come back and reprinted. Like I played with this in Invasion Block, right? Like which was set on Dominaria, so it's very thematic for them to be bringing it back here. It's uh, a uh, if I had really sat down and thought about it, this is one of the mechanics I would have most wanted to appear here. But like they've got an example here, uh, Baloth Gorger, two green green for a four four beast, Kicker four. That means when you play it, you can pay an additional four. If you do, it enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it, 
right? So like, are you interested in a eight mana seven, seven? Probably not going to put that in your deck. However, if you could always make sure that you had the mana to cast it, you certainly would. And that's what kicker does is it lets you just cast a four mana four, four, if it's turn four and that's what you need. Or if you top deck it later when a four mana four, four would be okay, but not great, then just make it bigger. One of my favorite things about kicker uh, and mechanics like it is um, some like the, 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 the gap between when you cast it with its kicker cost and when you cast it without its kicker cost. And that can be challenging for people or, or a skill testing question for people when they evaluate a card. So it's like, is this card good on, on for its normal cost? And how good is it compared to that when you pay it for its kicker cost? So for example, you know, a two mana uh, draw a card, for, like draw a card is bad, but if it's got kicker, you know, three on it, and now it's when it's kicked, you draw two extra cards. Now it's, let's say five mana for three cards, you know, what's the difference there? And are you willing to put the first in your deck two mana cycle um, to play the, the, the five mana draw three, for example. So there, there could be some cool skill testing questions as you're going through your draft. And as you're going through your actual gameplay of when, when are you casting this on curve or when are you um, holding it for later? And a card like this, for example, you're always casting on turn four because it's going to be rare that you're going to have a better, uh, uh, better turn four play than this in green. But if you're on, let's say, six, seven mana and you top deck this, are you going to hold out for an, for your eighth mana to try to play a, a giant creature? Or are you going to just going to play this because you have nothing else in your hand and you need to put something on the board? I think it, it's really cool and it opens up a lot of um, possibilities for in-game decisions. Yeah, and this example was on a creature. We have already seen in the past spells with kicker as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, don't imagine that this is only going to be on creatures. It's like it, it. It's almost like kicker is a split card, right? Which I, I honestly think split cards were just a variant of kickers. But it's like you can do this or you can do this other thing. Yeah, exactly. So modal spells are great. They give you the flexibility early and late. So. Now, we don't know for sure that they're in here. In fact, I, I kind of suspect that they won't be, but we have seen multi-kicker in the past. I don't see that spelled out here, but it was things where you could kick it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that's a thing we've seen in the past, but I, I don't see any of those listed here. Yeah, the, the, the notes here do say that you can't pay kicker more than once. So that leads me to believe that there's probably not multi-kicker in this format. Yeah. So like you can't pay, like for this Baloth Gorger, for example, you couldn't pay like... 12 mana and and get it even bigger you you have to either take the four four or the seven seven yeah exactly so so that's appears to be our only returning mechanic here um and i and i do look forward to kicker i think that'll be great and things like that make for a good limited format having the 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 options to spend your mana in different ways um so one of the new mechanics um are the the saga cards so uh these are enchantments of type saga and it, it's kind of hard to explain but if you if uh, maybe if i'll just read the example um you, you can get the idea here so the history of benalia I, mean, I think that's correct is one white white for an enchantment saga uh as this enters the battlefield and after your draw step add a lore counter sacrifice after it hits its third lore counter so on and then it has two abilities it has a one, a two, and a th- or one, a two on one line, and a three on the other line. So think of it as um, leveling up in a way. So on Saga one and two, you get a two-two white knight creature token with vigilance. 
So that means when this enters the battlefield, and assuming it sticks around, you get another one on your next draw step. Then when it hits its third, knights you control get plus two, plus one until end of turn. And then it sacrifices itself. So you get basically this this effect is spread over three turns. The turn you cast it, your next turn, and then your final turn. And you do these in order. So a 2-2, two, two, a 2-2, two, two, and then your knights get plus two, plus one until end of turn. Yeah, and that would be any knights, not just the knights you get from this. Mm-hmm. I, I saw another one uh, as I was going through the list. I think it was Phyrexian Scriptures that does something when you play it, a different thing on two, and then another different thing on three. So the fact that this one is doing the same thing on one and two doesn't mean that they will all do the same thing on one and two. Yeah, and you always sacrifice it when the number of lore counters is greater than or equal to the the number among its abilities, or the, the greatest number amongst its abilities. So um, you can't trick it to like stay around and always get plus two, plus one every turn and things like that. This will disappear once you've hit your third or greater lore counter. So, so we could potentially have more than three chapters in a saga too, right? Like there's nothing on this that's limiting it to three. That is correct. This one does say sacrifice after three um, so that it, it doesn't, it's hard to tell if this is uh, going to apply to all of them, but you're right. There could be four, there could be five. The there ones that twos. I've looked at, there could be twos. The ones that I've looked at appear to have three for all of them. Um, but of course we're only seeing a limited number of cards here. Okay. I, I really like this. Like this seems like a really flexible design and it, it does show a lot of the flavor that we're dying for. Like Banalish Knight was one of the first cards that everybody started playing with. And we all remember Banalish Hero and being confused about banding. So there's a, a lot of flavor dripping here and something that we're excited about. And I like the idea that it's like, hey, you get some knights, they get really strong. And then it kind of fades away much like Banalia. Yeah. Each one of these is going to tell a story is kind of, the, I think, the idea here. They even call these abilities chapters. So yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, these are really neat. From a gameplay perspective, um, you know, one white-white for for two two-twos spread over a couple of turns is pretty big. Um, it, it's the, the plus two plus one, if you're in like a Knights Matter theme, could be huge, or you're just swinging for a couple of extra points of damage. Your tokens do have vigilance. So this is kind of cool. Um, yeah. It doesn't list what the rarity is here, which is kind of a neat thing here. Actually, uh, Matt Tabak, the rules manager, did challenge Twitter to say, like, well, now that you've got this, a cool game you can play is guess what rarity it is and then see what it, what it actually is when it's spoiled for real in a couple of weeks. So I think that's kind of cool. But like my guess is this is probably a rare. Um, and I would imagine that all of these are probably rare, given that um, they seem to have powerful abilities um, and they are, quote unquote, complicated cards, which usually fall on on rares or mythics. Yeah, I would think History of Benali is a rare, but I, yeah. I, I really like this mechanic. I'm excited to see more cards with this. I want to talk about the Phyrexian one, too, when we get down and do some of those, because that one looked cool to me. Yeah, and I like sure. Phyrexian way more than Benalia. <laughs> All right. Um, this is less a mechanic and more of a theme, um, but legendary... The legendary type is on a lot of things in this set. Um, so one of the key things is that legendary permanence um is kind of more prominent here so much so that every booster pack is going to have at least one legendary creature now it doesn't describe how this is going to be i don't know if it's going to be like the flip cards in uh um shadows of innerstrad and the like where there's a specific slot dedicated to it i would think that's how it's going to be given that i can't really think of any other way that they would do it um but yeah you're going to get a legendary in, in every single pack that also leads me to believe that there's probably legendary creatures that are not 
at rare and mythic, you're probably going to see uncommon legendaries. We have seen that in uh, the Masters 25 spoilers, actually. So, um, And Kamigawa. Like, a oh, lot of those that were in there came from Kamigawa, and they were uncommon legends there. So there you go. So it's already been done. So I wouldn't put, put them past them there. But um, So legendary permanence, uh, one in every pack. And, of course, we all know the legendary rule that applies here. Um, there are now legendary sorceries. Um, so... This is like a mechanic or a theme in that legendaries matter, quote unquote. Um, legendary sorceries can only be cast with the assistance of legendary creatures or planeswalkers on your side of the battlefield. So Urza's Ruminous Blast, four white for a legendary sorcery. You may cast a legendary sorcery only if you control a legendary creature or planeswalker, not artifacts. Exile all non-land permanents that are not legendary. So the rules text basically to say you can't cast it unless you have a legendary creature or planeswalker on your side of the battlefield. Luckily, planeswalkers are legendary now, so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So if you've got a planeswalker, you're good to go. And if there's a legendary creature in each pack, you shouldn't have too hard a time assembling these. Um, this was one of the, the legendary sorceries were actually a mechanic that I was a little less excited about. Um like more legendaries is cool. It's going to, it's going to tell the story better. We'll get to see more of the main cast of characters. This just feels like a feel bad to me on either side. And I realize it's way too soon for me to be complaining about mechanics or whatever. But like, if I've got this legendary sorcery, that's really cool. And I've got five legendary creatures in my deck and it would win me the game right now, but I can't play it because I don't have a legendary creature in play and I lose the game. I'm just going to feel bad. And by the same token, I'm beating my opponent to death and they've got this stupid legendary 1-1 left over. And I'm like, I win next turn. There's nothing that can get them out of it. And their Urza's Ruinous Blast gotcha. I'm like, oh, you, you, what? Like, it's, it's just going to feel bad on either side. So like as excited as I am for the sagas and as excited as I am for Kicker and even more excited for the flavor of returning to the, the set where I started playing Magic, uh, legendary sorceries look like they kind of suck to me. Yeah, it looks like it's an excuse for them to make powerful uh, spells cost a reasonable amount. Do you know what I mean? Like this is, um, uh, I mean, it's slightly more than damnation, but it also exiles a lot of things. And it also leaves you with something left behind. Um, gets planeswalkers off the board as well. Gets artifacts, gets everything off the uh, off the board, essentially. So um, planeswalkers are legendary. Uh, oh, sorry, you're right. It gets non-legendary planeswalkers, I guess. So bring it into your cube. Or did they all get errated to I be legendary? I think they legendary? all got errated to be legendary. Oh, all right then. So it's really just like exile your opponent's Baylots. Yeah, and this is an example. I'm assuming there will be ones that are much more powerful than this, right? Mm -hmm. Like this one's probably just flavorful, I guess. But if, if they're all reasonable like this and they play into this legendary theme matters, maybe they're not going to be so bad. But it, it just scares me a little bit that they're like, hey, we can make spells really, really powerful because you're not going to get to cast them all the time. And like... On one side, if I can't cast the spell, I'm disappointed. And on the other, if my opponent casts it and just wrecks me, I'm going to be disappointed. So th this is a dangerous mechanic from, from my viewpoint. For sure. I wonder what it'll do to Constructed. That's an interesting one, too, because it's a lot easier to make sure that you have legendary permanents in Constructed. So it, it yep. could just be a power creep opportunity, too. I mean, we do complain about how... Par uh, you know, cards are getting less and less powerful. Maybe this is a turning point. You know, it's like a pendulum, though. It's going to swing one way fully and then the other. So sure. For uh, every Urza saga, there's a Mercadian masks. There you go. Exactly. So um, further to the legendary type, 
matters. Um, we have a new term, historic. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to read this here. So we have Jorah, Weatherlight Captain. Is that right? Jorah? Jahora? Jorah? Okay. Two blue red for a legendary creature, human artif- artificer, for th- and it's a 3-3. Whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. Artifacts, legendaries, and sagas are historic. So any artifact you cast, any any legendary creature, planeswalker you cast, or saga you cast are historic and will draw you a card as long as this is an, on the battlefield. Yeah, it says legendaries too. So like a legendary equipment would do it. A legendary land would do it. And we've seen those mm-hmm. in the past as well. Uh, this is spells though. So not lands wouldn't count. This one oh, specifically yeah, yeah, says yeah. when yeah. you cast a historic spell, but that's not to say that, um, that hist- or that uh, legendary lands wouldn't count for other cards that care about historic cards. Yeah. So, so a legendary spell would do this, like a legendary sorcery mm-hmm. would trigger this. Yep. A legendary artifact would trigger this. Okay, okay. Yeah, even just regular artifacts. The key here, like regular artifacts are also historic, which is kind of interesting to me because there's a lot of just plain old artifacts yeah. going around. Maybe in this set specifically from like a limited or from a block perspective, all of the artifacts will be you know powerful and, and flavorful and, and tell a story or be legendary. But I mean... You know, if I'm just playing Traveler's you know, Amulet, yeah, that's not very legendary to me. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Okay, so so kind of cool. So the legendary matters theme is is thick here, for lack of a better term, and it's uh it's going to be cool. It's going to be interesting to see how this affects a limited environment. I mean, there's going to be legendary creatures and matters in all colors. It doesn't look like it's just going to be contained to like a wedge uh, or a shard or something like that. So. Um, it might just end up being like a tack on yeah. to everything um, as opposed to like something you can actually draft around. Um, it looks more like bonuses um, as you draft as opposed to, well, I'm going to go in the legendary matters deck. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else do we have? I think that's it for the mechanics um, for actual like rules on the cards. Yeah. There's the, the damage redirection, which I had to have you explain to me and I want you to explain it to the listeners too, because it, it took me a minute to get it. So at, as it stands currently, if you have a Liliana of the Veil in play and she's at one loyalty, I, I'm thinking of this example because I've been playing Jund and Modern a lot. Uh, by the way, I was right. Bloodbraid Elf is absurd and Jace the Mind Sculptor sucks in Modern. Bloodbraid <laughs> is so good. It's fun to Jund again. Anyway, you have a Liliana. She's at one loyalty. I have a lightning bolt. I need her dead. I don't click the lightning bolt and click the Liliana. I click the lightning bolt. I click your life total. And then Moto asks me if I want to redirect that damage to Liliana. Correct. Okay. So what is this changing exactly? This changes that process. This, this says that damage cannot be redirected to planeswalkers now, whereas instead you have to point your spell directly at the planeswalker. So, um, and I think we can talk about this. We can talk about how it works on MTG Arena because they've shown this in the live streams. But this already works this way on MTG Arena, where if you have a lightning strike and your opponent has a Varaska on three, you don't drag the lightning bolt to their face. You drag the lightning bolt to Varaska, and if you or sorry, lightning strike. And if you read lightning strike, it actually says um, deal three damage to any target, meaning creature, player, or planeswalker. So that's the change. And, the you know, I imagine the reason for the change is because it's confusing. When you attack in combat, you know, you say I'm attacking the planeswalker or I'm attacking you. 
Whereas with damage spells, it's like I bolt you and then redirect the damage. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. So I can see why they made the change. Yeah, because it's like otherwise, if it worked the same way for both of them, I would never attack planeswalkers. I'd attack you. And then you don't know whether I'm going to redirect the damage to your planeswalkers or not. And you have to block without that knowledge. So I actually think this is cleaning things up a little bit. It just gets a little confusing in that now we're going to have cards that can target players or creatures, but not planeswalkers, right? Correct. So, and there's, there's going to be a line drawn between old and new cards as well, which is something that may be confusing to people when they start playing this set for the first time. So I recommend really studying up on, on, um, which cards are affected by this change. So going backwards, they have a list of errata here, but just for example, cards that read that used to read target creature or player will now be changed to any target. And that's old cards. So basically your lightning bolt will now be where it's three damage to target creature or player will now be three damage to any target. Okay. All right. And then there's a bunch of other rules here that I won't go into. It's quite detailed here, but going forward. So from cards from here going forward, and there's actually some in here um, that, that demonstrate this. um, It will have to explicitly say any target or specifically list a planeswalker that it can hit. So it will say, target player or planeswalker, whereas previously it would have just said target player. Right. So, so going, so, so there's going to be like this, this weird where old cards will still be, have the templating like as printed and you'll have to understand that they work differently. And then new cards going forward will be very explicit as to what target they can hit. So if I have lightning strike and it's been errated, it would say deal three damage to any target. But if they mm-hmm. print a new card, that's lightning double strike, and it says deal three damage to target creature or player, it will not be able to affect planeswalkers anymore. Correct. Okay. So like that old wording doesn't mean what it used to mean when you see it printed again, which is really weird. But again, I think this is allowing them more flexibility in the cards that they print, right? Like if they want something that's a really efficient answer to a planeswalker, but not a creature, they can print that now. Correct. Exactly. Now, that's going to be very confusing. Luckily, um, uh, Lee Sharp did say that they were going to change the text of the cards on Magic Online. That's freaking so, awesome. So if you play on Magic Online or you're new and you're playing on Magic Online and you want to get into modern, fingers crossed that they go and errata all of the text correctly on Magic Online. And then you just have to worry about the poor lowly scrub players or scrub players, paper scrub players. Yeah, I mean, um, who plays paper anyway? You could play exactly. online. So, and a, a really good example of this is, is the Chandra Bold Pyromancer Planeswalker. So here's another card we can talk about. Four red red for a legendary Planeswalker, Chandra. Her plus one ability is add red red. Chandra deals two damage to target player. Minus three, Chandra Bold Pyromancer deals three damage to target creature or Planeswalker. So her plus one only hits the face, not the planeswalker or creature, and her minus three hits creatures or planeswalkers. So like if they'd had this in play when they printed the Chandra from Kaladesh, they might have said, you know, her plus one, you know, exile the top card, deal two damage to target player, and then had the minus three been, you know, four damage to target creature or planeswalker. That's essentially what they've retemplated here. So I, I think that's really cool. It gives them a lot more flexibility and design space with planeswalkers and answers to planeswalkers. Overall, yeah. I think this is good. It just took me a minute to wrap my head around it. I agree. Previously, what they would have had to do if they wanted it to only deal damage to player, the only thing they had was loses life because loss of life can't be redirected. And now 
you know, now they don't have to have that confusion. They can still make you lose life in, in cases, edge cases where there's a difference between damage and losing life. But I think before, if they didn't want that damage to re- be redirected to a planeswalker, they would use loss of life. I'm assuming because that's the only way that they could do it now. So now they have that extra tool in their toolbox as well. I can see, I can see this being confusing for people that are established, but going forward, I think it'll be a lot cleaner. Yeah. I, I also want to read the the one under Chandra to, to further clarify this and make sure that people are getting it because it, it really did take me a minute to understand this. Firesong and Sunspeaker, four red white for a legendary creature, Minotaur Cleric, four six. Red instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. Whenever a white instant or sorcery spell causes you to gain life, Firesong and Sunspeaker deals three damage to target creature or player. Okay, so that that last line is the one that gets me. This cannot interact with planeswalkers at all in any way. It doesn't target them. It doesn't affect them. You can't hurt them. This creature cannot do any of that other than attacking them directly. But when you trigger that, like if we'd seen this in the previous set, we'd be like, okay, cool. I play my gain life spell. I'll deal three damage to your planeswalker. We'd say that. But what we really meant was I'll deal three damage to you and redirect it to your planeswalker. And that's just not how that works anymore. Mm -hmm. So when you see that target creature or player now, it means something different than it did in Rivals. Absolutely. And I'm thinking back, actually, I might have misspoken when I said that M- that uh, Lee Sharp said that uh, these would be errated. He might have been talking about the uh, the he or she versus they uh, pronoun pronoun change. Is that correct? The, yeah. um, the, the labeling change of um, of your your opponent or, or a player specifically. That may have been what he was referring to. I'll have to go double check and um, and hopefully they'll, they'll maybe they're changing both. That'd but be great. That would be great. Either way, there is going to be confusion. You're you are going to misclick and make a mistake on Magic Online at some point in the new set. Um, just try to be aware of that. I would say. Yeah, and again, remember when this comes out, and you do want to lightning strike their planeswalker. Don't click their life total like you've been doing for the past twenty years. Point it at the planeswalker card. Bingo. Okay. That's all the archetypes, and those are the rule changes, at least the functional rule changes. There's some other things in here um, that uh, that they've changed as well, but they don't really mean anything. Yeah, as far as gameplay is concerned. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's start talking about some of these cool cards. So, and archetypes. I mean, obviously, you can't can't gain a bunch of information from this. You can't know exactly how the draft format is going to be. But um, one of the cool archetypes that I'm looking at here is that wizards matter. You're a wizard, You're a wizard, Harry. I beat you too at that time. Yeah, you got me. So um, the the cool thing is, is there were two spells, and these are iconic, quote unquote. We joked that iconic masters didn't have a lot of iconic cards, but um, they have reprinted, not reprinted. They have produced cards that are similar to Lightning Bolt and Counterspell. So I'm going to scroll down here, and I'm going to get the names of them specifically. Where are they here? Wizard's Lightning and Wizard's Retort. So Wizard's Lightning is two and a red for an instant. Wizard's Lightning deals three damage to any target. You're like, but David, that's not like Lightning Bolt. It costs more than Lightning Strike. It, this spell costs two less to cast if you control a wizard. So if you have a wizard, you're slinging Lightning Bolts all over the place. And if you don't, well, you know, it's open fire. Yeah. And then Wizard's Retort is counterspell or cancel or counterspell. It's one blue blue for... Uh, an instant counter target spell and if you have a wizard it costs one less so 
you know, they might not be great in limited. Well, Wizards Lightning is probably going to be decent in limited. Um, and Wizards Retort is, you know, if you want to cancel, you probably want this. But um, this opens up a lot for uh, for standard, I would think, and for constructed. So I think this is a really cool um, kind of theme for this set. And then there's a lot of wizards that just care about having other wizards. Like this wizard does more stuff if you have other wizards. Um, so I, I think there'd be there'd be a cool little little tribal theme here um, when you're drafting, particularly red and blue. It looks like. Yeah, and it's cool thematically, right? Like there's this dude or dudette, and they're helping you cast your spell. Yeah, I never really thought of it like that. Man, when you put it that way, it actually sounds even cooler. And we're yeah, not just I, I, nerds slinging cards at each other from across the table. Yeah, there's this wizard helping me cast this lightning bolt. They wanted you to take the three damage, Dave. It wasn't me. Bl- I'm going to I'm gonna blame the wizard every time I do that and my opponent yeah. gets salty or something and be like, look, man, it wasn't me. It was this Academy Journey Mage. He was, he was slinging spells. I don't know what he is. He's just a journeyman. Just, just forget about him. Are we cool? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? So there's Phyrexian scriptures. <laughs> yeah, you want to get into the Phyrexian scriptures? Let's do that. I can't wait to talk about Phyrexian scriptures. This one has me really excited. All right, so let's do it. Two black black for an enchantment saga. Chapter one, put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. Chapter two, destroy all non-artifact creatures. Chapter three. Exile all cards from opponents' graveyards. Welcome to Phyrexia. That is so cool. I like that it tells the story in three simple turns. And as a card itself, like that is, that's pretty sweet. I mean, your opponent gets to see it coming, but there's not much they can do about it. They're going to lose the board that they have. Yeah. And you're going to get, get to keep your best creature plus any other artifact creatures you happen to have around. And if you're playing Phyrexian scriptures, you might want to consider taking some artifact creatures pretty heavily. I would think so. So it, it's, it's got like a neat build around that tells a story and is powerful. Like I'm interested in this and it's even interactive, right? Like if your opponent's main decking a disenchant, hopefully we get disenchant back, but maybe we get poopy naturalized, whatever. Like they can still interact with this and do something about it. So, like, from what I've seen so far, I'm, I'm interested in main deck naturalize effects. We'll, we'll get to that when we do a full set review. But I just think this is really cool. It does a neat thing. It tells a cool story. And then it, it's got this delayed over time factor where, like, it's not going to save you immediately if you're ridiculously behind and they can kill you that turn. But, man, if you can just cast this and stick around for a minute, you're in, you're in great shape. Absolutely. One of the, actually, two of the cards that I think is a cool throwback um to i guess it would have been early magic hey the white knight and the black knight yeah those were really early so white knight was white white for a two two first strike that with pro black and the mm-hmm. black one was the same except in black and had pro white right yeah okay so now we have the knight of grace and the knight of malice um which is one in a white or one in a black for a two two human knight first strike and they have hexproof from the opposite color so not protection just hexproof, so you can't be the target of spells or abilities. But it's it's not just hexproof, it's hexproof from black or hexproof from white. So it's a little bit of a twist there, and I didn't see this on any other cards as I was scrolling through here, so it looks like it's just like templating on this for flavor purposes. And then each knight gets plus one, plus zero, as long as any player controls a black or a white permanent, whatever the opposite of, of the one you control is. So you could potentially have a 3-2 first strike if you are playing white black or your opponent's playing black and you're playing white whatever it doesn't matter 
Um, yeah. This is a, these are neat, and these are probably going to be very good and limited. A two mana two two first strike is kind of bananas on curve. Yeah, the only problem with the the white knight and the black knight in the past, and even the silver knight, um, if if we want to get really weird, I think that's what it was called. There was a red red one with pro white um, that was in time spiral. Anyway, weirdness. The only bad part about those cards was the double white and the double black and the casting cost, and that's just been removed. Yeah. That that looks fantastic to me. So yeah, I'm excited to play with these, and it is a neat little nod and throwback to those of us that were playing originally, like. I've told this story a few times on on stream, but I'm going to have to tell it again. Started playing Magic when I was, I don't know, like 16. And we all bought our you know starter pack and started playing the game. And then we went back to get some more cards. And me and one of my friends just bought as many boosters as we could. And then our other friend went to the dollar box. We're like, what is that guy doing? He's going to get so many less cards than us. We got home and he plays this deck with Pestilence and um, White Knight and Drudge Skeletons and Circle of Protection from Black, which he got all out of the the dollar box. And we couldn't beat him. Like the Pestilence wasn't going anywhere. It didn't kill any of his creatures and it just killed all of ours. There's nothing we could do. And that's when I understood what Constructed Magic was about, was finding those combos. And it just unleashed a whole layer of the game to me that was just hidden before. So like seeing these kind of callbacks to those early creatures really does something for me as an enfranchised Magic player. Yeah, that is that is awesome. Um, seeing these throwbacks takes me back to when I discovered Magic and my buddy had the two-player battle box, and I remember White Knight and Black Knight were in there. And um, oh man, this is so this is so cool. I'm scrolling through this. There's other cards in here that are throwbacks to to those cards. Obviously, Lightning Bolt, Counterspell, things like that. Um, this is just a so far it's a hit in the nostalgia. I mean, it's kind of sad that we didn't get a regular spoiler for this, but man, am I ever nerding out over this? Yeah. Were there so any excited. other cards that reminded you of playing Magic a long time ago? Oh, there were a few. Um, one that stands out to me is Icy Manipulator. I didn't ever really get to play it <laughs> because it was always in my buddy's deck and we didn't play Limited at the time it was constructed. But I remember him having Icy Manipulators and it was annoying. Tell us about Icy Manipulator. So I played in Ice Age and it was a lot of fun. If I'm remembering it correctly, it's four mana for an artifact, one tap it, tap whatever you want. So I think you're correct. Like it, it, it taps your opponent's best creature. It scales with the game. It gets better as it moves along. If they don't have anything in play, you can tap one of their lands and their upkeep. So they can't use the mana. Uh, you can tap stuff into their turn. And then uh, when you untap, tap it again, you get multi icy manipulators going. It, it's just ridiculously fun to mess with your opponent's board. Like that, that card was always so much fun to play with and so miserable to play against. And like, was the reason that you wanted to have shatters in your sideboard. I, I'm super stoked to see Icy Manipulator coming back. It's a nice callback too. Yeah. First picking, Icy Heck Manipulator. Yeah. I hope so. Col- I hope colorless. this is a format where I can do that. I would imagine that you would be able to. With lots of powerful creatures, it looks like. Um, being able to slow down your opponent from casting those things, like those legendary sorceries and things like that, is probably a good thing. Yeah. Man, we're, we're, making, we're going back to OG magic here. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's going to be great. Um, Llanowar Elves? Yeah. Our Mana Dorks are back. It's been a long time since we had a one-drop Mana Creature in Standard. Like, I'm excited for what this does for Green and Standard. I'm also excited to play with them again in Limited. It's been a long time coming, man. But Llanowar Elf, the original? 
Yeah, and not even like Lanawar Elf. They went to the plural. They kept the Lanawar Elves plural. They talked about not being like not having plurals of creatures or uh, plurals in the names of creatures. They they said that they specifically went away from that. And the fact that they just brought it back for this, I think, is is amazing. It's 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 such a small little thing. It doesn't matter all that much. But I, I think it's a it's a serious nod to like, hey, we we understand where magic came from, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, like all of us remember playing Land of War Elves, especially those weird ones with like the brain outside their head on the old art. You remember what that was crap? That? I don't I know do. what I... that was. So weird. Uh-huh. But yeah. like, I-, I hope that they have something, some weird callback in the art too. Like, this makes me appreciate that I do actually care about the art on Magic cards because I want to know what these cards look like. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I hope I hope we get some some throwback to the brain or the the weird whatever it was it was it was it actually a brain or was it like a spaghetti hat i don't know i don't know whatever it was weird there's also some hope in the art because i've noticed that some pictures of teferi show him with hair and in like mirage and visions he was bald so like maybe there's some secret way for bald people to regrow hair i mean i don't know anybody that'd be interested in that but i mean (laughs) it's there as i run my hand through my luscious locks yeah sorry dude choke on it (laughs) (laughs) one one card that i thought stood out to me not because it's a throwback or anything um but because it just it it stood out as as an interesting way to do a a mechanic that has kind of been removed from the game so drudge sentinel is two and a black for a creature skeleton warrior it's a two one now what does skeleton have in the past usually regenerate man drudge skeletons now we can't do regeneration anymore not I mean, they, they effectively removed it from the game. They took it out of their, um, you know, their list of widely used mechanics. They, they'll still reprint cards with regeneration, but new cards generally get indestructible. We saw Adanto Vanguard. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is because regeneration was counterintuitive in some ways. It did a lot of weird things that weren't very obvious when you played, like if you were a new player, when you played the card, it tapped your creature, it removed it from combat, you know, just, just not very intuitive. You had to put a regeneration shield on it. Did they still have that rule or did they change that rule? Oh, it's still there. I saw that used in cube recently. Right. So you had to activate it like in advance of the creature dying. Right. So it's mm-hmm. just, there's all these weird things going on. So with Drudge Sentinel still has that, <laughs> except without being regeneration, which is kind of neat. So it's a neat throwback. It costs three. And after you pay your three, you tap Drudge Sentinel. So tapping is not part of the cost. It's three colon tap Drudge Sentinel. It gains indestructible until end of turn. So it's basically three mana regeneration, except that it doesn't have to worry about regeneration shields and how those work, and it doesn't remove it from combat. So it's kind of a graceful way to present regeneration without having regeneration. It's fantastic. Fantastic. It's kind of neat. It's very much easier to explain this. Like, I don't think my daughter has played with regeneration effects, to be honest. Yeah. Like I'm thinking about it now and I don't think we've ever actually played a spell that has regeneration. Um, maybe supernatural stamina. No, that doesn't even have regeneration. That doesn't regenerate. It? it just brings it back. Yeah. Just brings it back. So this is much easier to explain because there's no weird rules here. Yeah. Like, well, your guy technically removed from combat. You have to tap it because it took lethal and has regeneration. Like there was just weird stuff that it kind of didn't make sense why it did that. It's just the old rules said it did that. So it did. Yep. And there wasn't enough room on the cards anymore to print that text. (laughs) Yeah, basically. So, so I thought that was kind of cool scrolling through here and and seeing that 
that uh, not really a throwback, but an interesting way to template a mechanic that has since been removed, quote unquote, from the game. Yeah. Can you got any? What else do you want to talk about? Can I talk about Teferi yet? Oh, have we have we delayed you long enough? Is is it's like Christmas morning for you, isn't it? You can't it wait. Really is. So like the first time I really got into the story in Magic was in Mirage Visions and Weatherlight, and Teferi was like the trickster hero of all of that. He was the super cool dude. And then like when I kind of came back and started paying attention to Magic again, it was during the time spiral block. And it's like, hey, Teferi's saving the world by giving up his spark as a planeswalker. And I can remember talking and saying there's going to be a Teferi planeswalker card. There has to be a Teferi planeswalker card because there's so many old nerds like me who are waiting to open that Teferi planeswalker card. I will now read you the Teferi planeswalker card. Three white blue for a legendary planeswalker, Teferi, for loyalty. Plus one, draw a card. At the beginning of the next end step, untap two lands. That could be for your counterspell. Minus three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library third from the top. That's better than a bounce. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. That is, uh, that's pretty sweet for a planeswalker. That's really cool design. Um, don't know how good it'll play compared to other planeswalkers in the set, obviously, but I think, I don't know. What do you think? I think to me, this, this is a very flavorful, interesting design for a planeswalker. I think so too. I think it catches Teferi's flavor, right? Because he was a little bit of a trickster and kind of a goofy guy and jovial guy. And I like that. And this also looks a lot like Jace, the mind sculptor with an extra white tacked into the casting cost. Like this, this is kind of what Jace did. He functionally drew you an extra card, right? Like it was brainstorm for zero. I get it. And you could fate seal people, but nobody ever did that. You just draw the card, right? Brainstorm's a little better than draw a card, but untapping two lands is kind of neat. It means that Teferi sort of costs three mana, right? If you can do something with the extra two, that's cool. Like you could minus Jace to bounce something and Teferi does that, but even better, it bounces it and you don't have to deal with it for a couple turns. And then the emblem does basically say win the game. So I, I think this guy looks very powerful. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, the emblem is is really neat, and I think that's a really cool design. So if you can get there, that'd be that'd be pretty sweet. Um, I wonder if it'll see play in constructed and standard. Oh god, I hope so. I'll play standard like, if I can play Teferi. Like we're seeing kind of the the shell for a for an Esper or for a blue white control deck Mm -hmm. uh we saw the the five mana sorcery that exiles a bunch of things teferi seems like it would go like go in that um bringing or holding up your counter spell like you mentioned at the end of your turn so yeah there's some cool cards here and this one i think is up there um of course he takes the oath though spoiler alert so i know you're not really a fan of that all that much yeah we'll we'll pass on that one kind of done with the jesus league but sure teferi's a good guy he can be in the jesus league um what about Karn, though? Karn seems to be back, too, doesn't he? Yeah, it would be Dominaria without Karn. Karn, the Scion of, of Urza. Four, uh, yeah, four, just four colorless for a legendary planeswalker. Starts with five loyalty. Plus one, reveal the top two cards of your library. An opponent chooses one of them. Put that card into your hand and exile the other one with a silver counter on it. I almost said sliver counter. I was like, slivers are back. Yes, but they're not. Minus one, put a card you own with a silver counter on it from exile into your hand. So let's just absorb that for a second. So plus one, uh, look at the top two cards, draw your worst one. Mm-hmm. 
minus one, take a card that you had previously not drawn and put it into your hand, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. It could be any of them. Yeah. Um, even if you, if you have two cards, if you're luckily enough, lucky enough to do that, I imagine you could get the other ones with your new card. Yeah, because it would still have a silver counter on it. And then there's no ultimate here, but minus two, create a zero, zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. So it's naturally just a one, one. And then if you have a bunch of artifacts, uh, it gets bigger. Or if you activate it again, uh, you have a pair of tutus. You have a pair of tutus. It's like um, that rat. Why can't it? The pack rat. Yes. It's Karn, Karn rat. pack rat of, of Urza. Yeah, yeah. I, I like everything that's happening here. Four mana for a five loyalty Planeswalker. It's huge. It's not really threatening to ultimate because it can't, but it defends itself and then gives you advantage over the course of a game, and you can put this in any deck. But Like, you would pick this. If you have to play it and minus two it just to make a 1-1 one, one token to block with, it's actually not that bad. You've still got a three loyalty Planeswalker that can start drawing you cards next turn. Mm-hmm. I like... I know your opponent is always going to choose the worst card, but in some cases, they're not going to know what the worst card is for them based on what's in your hand, right? So I, I kind of like those little side games, right? Where you can reveal like, you know, I've got a removal spell and a good creature and which one do you do you get rid of? Generally speaking, though, your opponent's always going to choose the, the worst one, uh, like a land or something like that. But that's fine. You're still drawing cards at you, the end of the day. You know, those are the ones that I love the most where you flip it and there's a five mana removal spell and a land and they're like, gotcha, I'll give you the land. And you're like, sweet, I was waiting for that fifth mana. You're wrecked now. Like, those are the ones where you're like, man, it doesn't matter what you choose. This is not going to be good for you. Those are the best situations, too. I love it. So like, good. Oh, man. Ah, there's some cool cards here. Multiple, yeah. like, there's. we've already looked at three Planeswalkers. I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one. Um, although, maybe three. Maybe three's a lot. It's tough to say. Oh, yeah, there's some Pride of Femeriff. Quinde, Pride of Femeriff. I just appreciate that they're referencing some of the the settings from the Mirage block. Like we don't have to read it or talk about it, but like it, it it's just neat to see those callbacks. See, this is all new to me, so I'm gonna have to go back and, and read the the Brothers War and things like that and, and kind of catch up on all of this. No, I haven't looked to see if there's a Caravag card yet. Is there a Caravag card? I'm not sure. I think these are in alphabetical order. Keldon Overseer, Keldon Warchief, Knight of Malice. It doesn't look like there's a Caravette card listed here. That doesn't mean there's not one in the set, because we don't have a full spoiler. We've just got some of the cards that they listed in this pre-release notes. Correct. Okay, so, so I can still a, hold out hope for that. Yeah, there's 269 cards total, and I think at, at people were counting on Twitter or on Reddit or whatever says there's about 100 in here. So there's a lot of cards that have not been spoiled. A lot of commons and uncommons, I imagine. Um. Two more cards I want to mention, unless there's anything else you want to mention. Um, we've got a new Mox, which is kind of sweet. Now, I'm sure that Wizards have gone out of their way to make sure that this isn't busted in any kind of format. It's going to be busted in some kind of constructed format somewhere, though. Mm-hmm. Mox Amber is a free legendary artifact that taps for one man of any color among legendary creatures and planeswalkers you control. If you do not have a legendary creature or planeswalker, this does not do anything. And it does not tap for any color. It taps for colors that essentially you are already playing. So does it not tap for colorless because it's a colorless legendary artifact? I don't. Let's see what the errata says here. Uh, 
if you control no, it only no says legendary, legendary creatures. creatures and planeswalkers, so it doesn't count itself. Okay. Does it? Well, it's a legend. Yeah, it's a legendary artifact, but it's obviously this is creatures and planeswalkers. So okay. if you control no legendary creatures or planeswalkers, you can activate the ability, but it will not add any mana to your mana pool. Okay, so it's a mox that only works if I've got a planeswalker in play or a legendary creature in play. Okay, that yeah. seems relatively fixed. It does. Um, like I guess I guess if you're playing things like Savannah Lions, is that legendary? No. That might be it's not? Isumaru the legendary? was the one That's that, the one that yeah. I'm thinking of, yeah. <laughs> legendary Savannah. That's the one that I was thinking though. Like that's the only way you'd be able to break it, right? Yeah, you could go planes, Isumaru, Mox Amber, cast another one, sacrifice the first one, sacrifice pass. It. Just to, to make a statement. <laughs> It's neat. Um, it goes in that legendary matters themes, and I guess if you're playing a lot of planeswalkers uh, or legendary creatures, that this becomes a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot better. But like, if you can ramp out a planeswalker, I guess it's probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of neat. Yeah, it's probably going to be mythic, and I'm probably never going to pick it, but it is very cool. It, it's it's a cool callback at the very least. And then finally, the last one for me. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, or at least on Twitter. Maybe I don't remember. Stream. That's where I've mentioned it before is the Verdant Force. So five green, green, green for a 7-7 seven, seven elemental. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 1-1 one, one green sapperling token. That's it. That's all. Eight mana for a 7-7 seven, seven that makes sapperlings. The reason I mentioned it is because this is like the first rare card that I really like fixated myself on in Magic. Um, this was part of a pre-constructed... It was either green, mono-green, or green-black deck. I don't remember which. Maybe it was green-white. In the Tempest block... And uh, my grandfather went to the city and asked what we wanted. And we're like, hey, we play this game Magic. Can you maybe find some cards for us? We lived in a small town. We didn't have a game store. And when he mailed these to us, uh, this was the rare in one of them. I my brother and I played these decks against each other. He had a shadow deck, black green or uh, uh, black white shadow deck. And uh, Verdant Force was my was my card. I played everything that I could to make sure that I could cast this card. Frequently, I didn't. But when I did, it was a lot of fun. And uh, so this kind of takes me back to the original days of magic for me uh, playing on the kind of the kitchen floor with my brother unsleeved cards. And I'm sure I had really valuable cards in there somewhere, but Verdant Force was easily the card that I liked the most out of all of that. There's callbacks here for everybody, man. No matter when you played magic, it's here for you. I'm not going to read it because I don't think it's very good, but there's a saga called time of ice and that's there for me because I remember ice age. I remember Ice Age, Man. and it was so remember? cool. It was pretty cool. Man, there's some cool stuff here. All we're missing is like Snowlands. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Which there are none because we would have absolutely had them mentioned in here for sure yeah. if there were Snowlands. So. Yeah, no cold snap here, but like there's, no there's, we have not even begun to touch the surface of this. If you're at all interested in Dominaria, I'd encourage you to go to the wizard site, find this article. It's got a link to the release notes as well as some information by wizards about kind of how this happened, why it happened and what they're doing about it. Right. So go find that and look at it. But we just wanted to talk about it and give you a little preview and some of our thoughts and then kind of nerd out. <laughs> mm. And we get to talk about uh, Masters next week a little closer to the release date. So Yeah, and we will get that podcast up for you no later than Thursday. So you will be able to listen to this a full day in advance of these being released on Magic Online. So don't worry, we're not going to leave you hanging for the the new, uh, Masters 25 set. Absolutely. Um, so unless you got anything else to talk about, 
I think we're going to wrap it up there. I do want to encourage people. Um, I've had a lot of people come by the stream and say that they found out about the stream from the podcast. And obviously a lot of people have found out about the podcast from the stream. If you know somebody that you think would be interested in this podcast, point them here. And if you haven't already, consider leaving us a rating on whatever software, podcasting software that you use. Um, you need like six or seven ratings to get the stars in iTunes. And we're like almost there in iTunes. So if you're getting this on iTunes and could consider leaving us a review, uh, that would just help more people find us. Absolutely. And um, on top of that, uh, we should mention the Patreon again. So we're actually going live with it this week, if I understand correctly. And uh, so if you're interested in supporting the podcast, of course, you don't have to. Everything we do here is absolutely 100% free for the taking. But if you feel like you would like to support us and say, you know what, I've got this dollar I'd like to give you, by all means, you can go check out the Patreon. That's at uh, patreon.com slash menfrommoto. And uh, you can get some benefits there. We've got some cool uh, rewards that you can buy into if you like. And uh, if not, we enjoy having you here anyway. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks again to Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com for the host and the support. Travis, where can they find you drafting Cube this week? Uh, it, it'll be Cube and actually, oddly enough, some Rivals of Ixalan Sealed. Uh, we'll get into that, like why, in a future podcast because we're running out of time here. Uh, but you can find me at twitch.tv slash simulan and on Twitter under the same name. And I am at twitch.tv slash dcivilian, that's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N, and Twitter is the same. So once again, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Adios.